meetings similar to this, but with intercession involved, prayer involved, just a place of people coming together on one accord and just lifting up uh, prayer requests and worship to God. Uh, those take place on Wednesday night from 7 to 9, and also Saturday night from 7 to 9. Um, and then we just started a prayer block that on Saturday night goes from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock. It's once a month. After the beginning of every month, twice a month. Twice, Twice a month. Twice a month. Come ready to stay an extra two hours. <laughs> if you're hungry, you know, God responds to hunger, right? Amen. And then in the mornings from Tuesday to Friday, there's also from 6.30 to 8.30, it's called the Devo Block, basically where you come and you just get energized by the Holy Spirit, you get proper perspective on your day, and you go out fighting, right? You go out of this place and you approach your day from the, the right viewpoint encountering God and also just going out to encounter the world with the presence of God in your life. It's powerful. we heard great things about it. And I definitely encourage you to come and just spend time and just get refreshed and, and soak in His presence. And I mean, with this type of worship accessible to us every day of the week, I mean, that's powerful in the presence. I mean, we are honored to have Daryl and Will and Izzy to come and just be our worship leaders here. I mean, Time and time again, they're, they're bringing us into the presence of God and cultivating an atmosphere here where we can approach God and where we can see Him so rightly and so nearly. That's, that's what I experience in, in the times of worship here at Jehovah. We're going to take an offering. Um, as you know, the vision is great. We, we are so content and happy with what God is doing now and what He's administering here in Jehovah. But we have so much vision for so much more. We're believing God to, to be the God He is, the God without limits, the God who invades society and just overturns the status quo of, of normal day Christianity and normal day life. And we just want to, you know, this is just one aspect. It's all your life. It's your time. It's your energy. I know there's many here that have joined the cause. It's resonated in your heart. You guys have committed to it. And this is just another avenue to give and just to honor God with every aspect of your life and uh, believe Him to do great things in the city. So we're going to go ahead and pass the baskets around. We'll just go from the front to the back. And then at the end, Douglas, if you would just grab them and bring them, or Jordan, one of you. Yeah, Jordan, you can do it. Also, we want to, um, we have the pleasure today of having G.A. Let's give it Sorry, let me just find my glasses. And G.A. is going to bring the word here. Like I said before, just want to highlight again, God responds to hunger. There's questions in your heart. There's places where you guys are longing for God, for answers for, for breakthroughs for. And what better place than in the place of the preaching of the Word? And what I always encourage people to do in times where you're sitting before someone that's preaching the Word is to put your hunger on display before God. In your heart, just cry, God, give me something today. God, I need to hear something from your voice. Regardless if there's not real pressing circumstances... Let your cry be, God, there's got to be more of you. If you have this God that is uncreated and that you dwell within me, God, I want to know the expanse, or I want to begin to know the expanse of you, God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all one who is and was and is to come. And, you know, I just want to, you know, pray for GA. And, guys, let's, let's extend our hands, and let's just believe that the gift of God in GA will just be poured out here. God, we thank you for her life. God, we thank you for who she is and in you and who you are in her. And we're asking for bold declaration of your word. We're asking to be fed, God. We're hungry for you. We want to hear your voice. Amen. We're asking, God, use our weak words, God, and fill your people tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing before she starts, I don't, I'm going to share briefly. Um, a good friend of mine, Corey Russell, he always, when he goes to preach, 
can always sense the crowd's anticipation or their hunger for him to deliver the word. So if he feels like there's like not so much hunger, you know, how many know when, when Jesus was walking about one time, I can't remember chapter and verse, I'm sorry, but that lady tugged at the hem of his garment and it, 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 the, the Bible said that it felt like virtue left his body, that he quickly recognized because yeah. of this, this woman's faith and hunger what had just happened. I don't know if he saw it or if he recognized that person, but healing entered her body. Um, and there's something about hunger that just cultivates an atmosphere. Spiritual hunger. I'm not talking about wanting a Twinkie or, you know, and trying to fill up. But there's something where we're like, Father, we're hungry to hear the Word of God this morning. We're hungry to hear your words. And I just want to encourage us to pull on the gift of God. You know, every time somebody speaks up uh, or steps up to the pulpit, it's an opportunity for us as the uh, as spectators, per se, to pull on the gift of God. You know what I'm saying? To say, Lord, we want to hear your words. We want to we want to receive from you, Lord, today. So I just want to encourage you. There's a fly flying around here. Um, but I just want to encourage you. Pull on the gift of God this morning. You'll be surprised at what might happen. Amen? All right. Okay. Hi. Um, I think I see a lot of new faces that I haven't seen here before. So my name is GA. I, uh, I've been coming to J-Hop since uh, May <coughs> last year. And then on September 25th, when we started our first service, I, I was, you know, like, sign me up, you know, I'm here, um, and I want to be a committed member of this church. Uh, I actually moved to Boston last April, and I actually, and I moved from Hong Kong, so I'm not a student here, and I'm flattered if you thought that I was a student, but I'm actually, um, I'm actually a little bit older than you guys, most, um, and, and I'm working here in Boston, so my company transferred me, I'm here for a couple of years, who knows what's going to happen next, but um, what is, uh, what matters is that I'm here right now. So can I just see a show of hands, like how many of you are students in this room? Yeah, at least about 60% of you. So, um, you know, I was praying about God, you know, what should I share about, you know, there are things that are on my heart and things like that, and I think what it came down to is because this is the first time that I'm actually preaching a sermon, sermon slash, I don't know, sharing, um, I thought maybe I could start off with some stories, and the reason being is that uh, growing up as a Christian, so I actually grew up in a Christian family, um, I'm actually Korean, but I grew up in Hong Kong, uh, grew up in Hong Kong and then came here to the U.S. for college and graduate school and then moved back to go work and then now I'm back. So uh, growing up, I guess um, <coughs> I realized that there were no role models, that uh, if you thought of anyone as a hardcore Christian, they either had to be a pastor or a missionary, and growing up, I, I didn't see any, like, I didn't see any... Um, I mean, of course, my parents are Christians and all of that, but also because of the, of the cultural difference, I grew up speaking English, whereas my parents, you know, their first language is Korean, and then I grew up in, you know, a very different environment than my parents, uh, and just church and everything was very different. And so, growing up, I didn't really have any role models, and I don't know about you guys in terms of, did you have any role models growing up, if you did grow up in the church, of um, seeing Christians who are hardcore Christians, but not necessarily a pastor or a missionary? And so, because of the fact that I know that this crowd here is slightly younger and not too much, but a little bit younger in age than where I am right now, I just thought, you know what, why don't I just share some stories? And the biblical basis for that comes from Revelations 12, 11. And it says here, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. So, you know, there is something in the power of testimony because comes that, 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 um, that the living word of God lives in testimonies. And, and the reason why we share stories is that it's, 
it's because of a story of somebody else that you know. And so it makes it that much easier to, to picture um, how God can move in your own life. And so um, I just thought, you know what, uh, I'm only here today because of who God is. And so I thought I would share some stories about the God that I have experienced and the God that I know. And I'll pepper a little bit of advice here along the way, if, if you don't mind, because I like giving advice. <laughs> and so um, I hope you'll take your Bibles out because I do believe that this is a Sunday service and you should all come with your Bibles. It's easier a lot these days with um, iPhones and all sorts of apps where you don't actually have to flip through the pages. But I do like having a physical Bible. And I'm going to, I wanted to first um, share with you about the God of provision. So why don't we go to Genesis uh, 22, 14. And because we are still a very small church, I'm going to ask for a volunteer to, um, to read out Genesis 22, 14. Sure. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Yeah, so what Genesis 22 is that Abram has already had his son Isaac. You know, he is the promised son that Abram had at the age of, I think, over 100 or so. He waited a very, very long time for the son of promise. And um, Abraham, uh, Isaac is born, and then all of a sudden one day, for those of you who are familiar with um, this story, that God asks uh, Abram to sacrifice his son. And so he's on his way to sacrifice, and um, you may know that God says, you know, don't, don't sacrifice your son. I've prepared, a, um, I pre I've prepared a ram for you, and so there was a ram. And, and, in, um, and in response to that, Abram says uh, in verse 14, um, and it says in verse 14, and Abram called the name of this place, the Lord will provide, and is, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And so um, how many of you were here two weeks ago? Uh, so I shared a little bit just before we, um, we gave our tithes and our offering about my own story of just experiencing the God of provision. And uh, for those of you who are there, I shared a little bit about how um, after I went, to, I went to college in Philadelphia, graduate school in New York, and then you know actually when I left Hong Kong at the age of 18, I thought, you know what, I'm probably never going to come back. I kind of grew up with this sense of, this is home, but it's not really home. Because I grew up as a foreigner in a different land. And unlike those of you who may be Asian Americans, or like your parents immigrated to this place, like I grew up speaking English, whereas the local language in Hong Kong is Cantonese, it's Chinese. And so I never really, um, I speak a little bit of Cantonese. I can order enough, like get around and, and um, order you know, my essential Chinese food, which is very important. But I never, I still don't fluently speak the language. So there was always uh, this sense of I'm still a foreigner living in this land, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll go end up most likely settling in the United States. And uh, but the thing is, after a series of things, uh, I decided to go back and uh, work for my father. So my father, I was very fortunate to have um, very loving parents, and my dad. Um, had his own business. It was a manufacturing business. He manu manufactured photo albums in China, um, and uh, and you know he paid for my undergraduate education, which was very expensive. Mm. And um, and I thought, you know what? After graduate school, I think I'll you know I I thought there was something in me that just said like I need to go back home and I need to um, help out my dad. And so I worked for my father for a couple of years. And I must say that those 2.5 years of my life were the most difficult period of my life because uh, I was working for my dad 
and everything that our family had was invested into this business. And because when he first started this business um, in the early 1990s, this was when China was opening up, um, a lot of you know small businesses went in to go set up manufacturing businesses, you know, with a couple hundred um, uh, people working in the factories and things like that. But being a Korean who has absolutely no family in the southern China area, um, and just not understanding the Chinese culture and the way of just getting things done through relationship and everything, he lost a lot of money at the very beginning of setting up um, the factory for um, manufacturing photo albums. And so by that time, over 10 years had passed and running into cash flow problems and things like that. And basically the company had run into so much debt that it was very difficult to sustain the business. So just, you know, to fast forward, uh, you know, I never really got properly paid even though I was supposed to be paid. And, and, um, and then my father ended up having to, his company went under, and so he ended up having to declare bankruptcy. And so here I was, I was like, oh my gosh, my life is over. Um, you know, I have, you know, this, you know, I could have, when I went to college, it was, the, the economy was still very good. Uh, the economy was still very good. And I was like, man, I could have become like an investment banker, or I could have like gone into management consulting. But here I am going into like this, uh, you know, no-name company for my father, and I'm like making peanuts. In fact, I'm not making any money whatsoever. And, and I've just ruined my life. Like I even left the United States because if I wanted to stay, then I should have stayed. And, you know, it's not like I can go back because I don't have a green card, don't have a visa or anything like that. And I just thought my life is over. I mean, and, and I'm like, here I am in an industry where, like, people think Columbia University is a place in Ohio somewhere. And so, if you don't know, Columbia University is in New York. So, um, so I was like, man, people think that Columbia University is in Ohio. And you have to understand, at the time, I was really very, very proud. Like, very prideful in a bad way. And I actually had um, met my friends from college last, towards the end of last year. And uh, because they hadn't seen me in the 10 months and the, thank goodness, the transformation and the work that he has done in my character and my identity, I just realized like how obnoxious I was. I was like so arrogant and I was like, yeah, here I am at the age of 22. I have two Ivy League degrees, you know, I have a master's degree. I mean, of course I turned 23 right, right the month after because, you know, but I always thought like I'm, a, you know, I wanted to be known as an overachiever, like I can get anything done if I put my mind to it. I was just really, really proud. and. And, you know, I look back now and those 2.5 years of working for my dad, as difficult as it was, I'm so thankful because of the work that God did in my character and just humbling me. By the way, if, by the way, never ever pray God humble me. Because you don't ever want God to humble you. you it's, it's biblical. To, it says, and I forget where it was. It says, humble yourself. So always humble yourself before God humbles you. I'm serious. Because if he humbles you, then it's like you had no choice. Right? It's like God was like, enough is enough. Like, I love you too much to leave you alone. So, like, I'm going to humble you. But never, ever, you know, I pray that you will learn from like people like myself and Noah and whoever else, like you know, just don't ask God to humble you. That is not a very biblical prayer, and trust me, you don't want that happening to you. Um, and by the way, I never, I never prayed that. But anyway, um, and so, uh, so, so you know, our family lost everything. You know, we had to sell the apartment. Like we sold the apartment a long time ago. By the way, everyone in Hong Kong, unless you're like a billionaire, you live in an apartment. Like an apartment, even the smallest one, will cost you a million dollars to buy U.S. And so uh, everyone lives in an apartment in Hong Kong, and you know we sold that, and like we literally did not know like how are we going to make rent? 
you know, my brother is at university in California, and, you know, my father had promised, like, it's this, you know, the Asian parents, this, this sense of obligation and duty, like, to provide the best for mm -hmm. their kids. And yet, um, I was just back home for almost a month uh, in December in Hong Kong, and I just realized, like, oh, what full circle our family has come. Like, since then, you know, I've gone on to start a career. Um, I am, you know, making a very good living. My brother is, you know, he managed to somehow finish university, then go to law school, and then go get his LLM. And now he's working for one of the top law firms, uh, New York law firms, um, uh, out of Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, working for where they have, they basically, um, you know, do a lot of like corporate IPOs and debt deals and bonds. Anyway, doing very exciting things, even though he's being worked to death. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but we can't complain. And then my father restarted um, two different businesses. And this is the year where there were dividends, meaning that um, you're not just, there's more than enough that you've put enough back into the company for reinvestment. And then the shareholders are getting dividends. And so I just realized, like, God, you have been so good. I mean, just to give you a picture of what it was like after my father declared bankruptcy, I know, like, a couple of years later, when you do business in China, not everything is so clear. And so um, he actually got his, his creditors, his, his, his creditors came after him. And so basically they were Chinese gangsters who mm. held him up. And they were threatening to literally chop off his fingers and his arms and all of that, like, if they didn't pay up. I mean, the stuff that you see in movies and in TV shows, like, those are real, and that happened to my dad. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, thank God, you know, like, that there is an army of angels surrounding mm -hmm. him, Amen. and that through that, um, that he's come out of it. And, and um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, having grown up as a Korean in Hong Kong, there are a number of, like, Korean families who ran into financial trouble, and they basically left Hong Kong. So, you know, they, uh, and, and yet my dad, I'm so proud of him that he decided to stay, clean up his mess, and, um, and then now he's, you know, he's got two thriving businesses mm -hmm. and, and doing very, very well for himself. And so he's promised me that he'll pay for my wedding. Actually, that was a concern. I was like, Dad, I'm like, if I get married, who's going to pay for it? Um, not if, but when I get married. Um, so my first advice to you is uh, God is really, truly a provider. Um, you know, for those of you, like, who've been to my apartment, you're like, wow, this is such a nice bachelorette pad and everything. Like, it's not that, you know, I had it all growing up. Actually, growing up, I basically, you know, never went without, very privileged. But the last 10 years was very, very difficult. And, and yet, even within that 10 years, there's been such turnaround, there's been such provision um, and things like that. But the one thing that I can say uh, that has run down our family line, so do, anyone heard of generational curses? Yeah. Well, there's generational curses, but there's also generational blessings that can run down family lines. And, and I think uh, as I looked back at our family line, I'm very fortunate that my grandfather was the first Christian and then so I'm like the third generation Christian in my family. But there's been this gift of and this heart to give to the church. And so I can tell you, um, like, you could put your money into mutual funds and, you know, whatever accounts and things like that. 
but the best thing that you could ever do is start giving not just your tithe, because the tithe is the absolute minimum and yeah. the 10%, but it's start giving above and beyond your tithe. Because, And I'll share a little bit more about that later um, as, I, as I talk about some of the things that God has done. So why don't we uh, turn to Malachi 3.10. So can someone read Malachi 3.10? So Malachi is, uh, is at the end of the Old Testament. Bring, bring it's uh, King James. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, says, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the, you the windows of heaven, and pour you out such a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Yeah. So I'll just reread it again. Um, Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Basically, this is a promise from God saying that you can never outgive him. If you bring your tithe, then he will give back to you. I mean, not that we should do this out of like some calculating manner of like, yeah. I give you this God and I expect twofold, you know, more than the interest rate, which is basically zero right now. Um, more than the interest rate. You know, it's not like that, but it's this its this act of worship. And when we say that we have a relationship with God, it's not just about praying, but it's like, okay, God says, can you give me this? And he's like, okay, God, I will obey you. And um, why don't we trust, uh, why don't we um, go to Matthew 25, 21. Actually, why don't we start off with 20. Uh, Matthew um, 20, uh, 25, verse 20 to 21. I'll read it. Yeah. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me, delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your, your Lord. Yeah. And so you see this parable, if those of you who are familiar with the parable, uh, that, you know, that um, God gave each one of these people different talents, and then he was faithful with, with the five and then created five more. Well, I really feel like it's this, God wants to be able to... Um, almost like build up your credit rating. Like he might start off with small, see how you do in it. You know, are you are you like good in terms of being able to use it faithfully um, and then also uh, trust him in your finances to give a portion of that back to him? And you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to start raising your credit limit. You know, and that's really what it is. And the year that, um, I, I believe it was, 2005. So, you know, fast forward in my little story that I started. So my father, you know, declared bankruptcy and all of that. And, I, and then, you know, through friends, I was able to find a job. And, um, and so I was working at this HR consulting firm, which is how I ended up in HR of all places. HR consulting firm. And in 2005, my pastor in Hong Kong started, uh, pre um, started preaching about finances. So he actually had been, uh, he had started that church in 2003, and he didn't say a word about money until two years later because he wanted to establish that trust, trust relationship. So very similar to here right now where we started with like 20 people and then started growing larger and larger. So um, so 2005, we were getting all this teaching about you know finances and giving and all of that at my church in Hong Kong. 
and uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start, you know, I have a lot of financial obligations and, um, and, uh, and yet, um, you know, I'll start giving towards missions. So there's my tithes, that the 10% that I always give to church, and then that I'll start giving towards missions. Well, the year that I started giving towards missions, uh, my salary was raised three times and I never asked for it. So what happened was, um, it was April and my boss writes to me, he's like, Jay, I didn't have a chance to talk to you, but payroll is tomorrow. You're going to find that I've bumped up your pay by 5%. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> I was like, we'll talk about it later, but obviously you're doing really well and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, thanks, God. Um, and by the way, a 5% pay increase is actually significant. Those of you who don't think it is, the average pay increase here in the U.S. is probably between 0 and 2% right now. Okay, so 5% is um, significant. Uh, and, then, and then a couple months later in July, um, my boss then bumped up my pay by another, like, I think 20%, I can't remember. And then, and then come um, September, when the normal pay cycle, when the normal merit increases take place, he raised it by another like 30% and I actually got a promotion that time. And so within a short span of time, um, it went from, I think it must have like increased by overall like 50 something percent. And that was when I had just started giving tithes, uh, above my tithes to the church. And so there have been times where, you know, um, you, there, but you know, being human that I am, I'd be like, okay, God, I gave you this, so what's coming my way? <laughs> but um, it doesn't always instantaneously happen. But it's that you know, you give without the expectation of what you're going to get in return. So anyway, um, that's my that's my advice that uh, that always tithe and give because, and it's not because God needs your money. It's because it's an act of worship, and it's because he wants to bless you in it. And he wants to be able to trust you and, and, and help you grow in that area of trust. Okay? Um, so how many of you are going to be graduating soon and looking for jobs? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, so once you get to the job market, once you get into um, whatever area that you're in, the second piece of advice that I can, that I can give you, and even non-Christians will give it to you, is that, and, and I forget who gave, who gave this piece of advice to me, but it's the best piece of advice that I ever got. One of the best. Always make your boss look good. Always honor your boss. Even if he or she is a terrible person. If he or she is a terrible person, you'll need my advice number three. So why don't we turn to 1 Timothy uh, 2, verses 1 to 3. So anyone at the back over there wants to read uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 3? Sure. Um, I urge them, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for us, <coughs> kings, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all good godliness and holiness. This is and pleasing God our Savior. Yeah, that we should be praying for all, all for kings. That includes President Obama, and um, for those who are in authority over us, because God is a God of structure and He's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He's not the one saying revolution. And you know, and uh, um, and, and later uh, we're going to start looking at some um, verses in Daniel. But it's the best piece of advice that anyone gave me. Granted, I was very fortunate, and I've had bosses who um, who were very good to me, and they were good people in general. Um, 
but I will always, uh, even if it's not warranted, I'm in a discussion, mm -hmm. I will That's always good. give credit to my boss. That's good. Because I want them to know that I am for them and not against them, because we're all human, right? And so we're all kind of like, oh, f sometimes people feel insecure and they're feeling threatened, but I want them to, I never want like this insecurity or a threatening relationship to ever get in the way of me being able to do my work. And so always pray for your bosses. Always, and if you have a bad boss, you know, kill them with kindness. Um, you know, if I, so my, my pastor told me like, I'm, I'm like, Pastor Sam, I'm having so much trouble with this person. And, and I'm like, I'm just going to kill them with kindness. He's like, GA, that's not quite right. But yes, God will change your heart. <laughs> the fact that I'm still saying I'm like, I'm going to kill somebody with kindness. But at least it's that notion of walk in the opposite spirit. Yeah. That just because someone hits you, you, does, you don't hit them back. You take the high road. And because people are all, they're all people, and they've all been made in the image of God, there is something about kindness that penetrates to the core of their conscience and their hearts. And so, and if you have, end up having a boss who is not good to you, instead of complaining about them, because your words have power, so right? True. Speak what you believe God wants them to be. So if they're like mean and not generous, like, God, I pray for so-and-so, yeah. I pray that he or she, I, you know, I, I call forth the kindness and the spirit of generosity and like, you know, and security and confidence to come over that person. Continue to speak what is opposite over that person. And so, um, and I think... Uh, you know, and I think a prime example of that is Daniel in the Bible. So Daniel served various kings throughout his time um, um, in, in Persia, but he served King Nebuchadnezzar, who was one of the most evil kings of, the, of all time, probably. I think he uh, would have made Saddam Hussein look like a saint, uh, because Nebuchadnezzar, he was in Persia, which is basically where Iraq is right now. And so... Um, you know, speak words of kind. You know, speak words of what you think God has called them Amen. to be. Yeah. Uh, so I can share um, a testimony about one of my bosses. I hope no one's going to post this up on the internet. Okay. Uh, so my one, one of my bosses. Let's, um, There's this thing called a. Okay, um, I'll, I'll change his name. Let's call him James. So one of my bosses, James. When I first started in consulting, my boss, James, like, I don't know. He and I just clashed all the time, and. And he would, he would swear, and it wouldn't be the F word, it would be the, our beloved Lord and Savior, you know, Jesus Christ. And so I basically told him, like, James, you know, can you please not use the Lord's name in vain? It offends me. And so, and then he was like, okay. And then he comes back to me a day later, he's like, Jay, I'm really offended that you're telling me what to do. And I'm like, James, I don't go around, like, if I'm in a bad mood and something does not go right, I don't, like, I don't use your son's name to, to curse at whatever it is. I don't use your wife's name to curse. I'm like, Jesus is very real to me. I have a relationship with him. And um, I will, you know, this is unacceptable. Of course, we're not in the United States, so I can't, like, threaten him with a lawsuit or anything like that. So, um, so I told, basically, I told James that, you know, that was unacceptable. But, you know, over the years, James went from, like, being really suspicious of me and, like, thinking, I don't know, what he thought of me? And, um, and yet... And then he ended up being one of my biggest advocates, and I'm still in touch with him now. So James moved back from Hong Kong to Montreal, and, and you know, when I first started my job, he's like, gee, I'm so proud of you. I'm, like, fascinated how quickly your career has grown and things like that, and we still keep in touch. And, and, um, and it, you know, I, it really must have been God in terms of, 
you can't change. Sometimes like people are so set in the way that they view you, unless it's God, and He changes the lens in which they view you. Um, it's not going to change, and so continue to pray for your boss. Like he used to cause me a lot of heartache, and and sometimes I felt really belittled by him. And we, you know, continue to talk, and I continue to want to serve him and make him look good. And so, um, so kill them with kindness. Be kind. Don't kill them. But if you have to, you'd be like, I'm going to kill them with kindness. Okay. So um, the. So I talked about God the provider, and um, the other, uh, another aspect of God that I have experienced is the God of wisdom, that God is the source of all wisdom. So let's turn to James 1, 5. James is after Hebrew, and before um, Peter. Anyone read James 1, 5? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Yeah, so I wish um, I had remembered these verses when I was taking an exam at school, because it basically says, God says, I mean, he, you know, he, he says it in black and white. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of, ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. Um, why don't we turn to uh, Daniel 117. <clears throat> Anyone wants to read Daniel 117? Okay, go ahead. Um, as for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so, um, those of you who are familiar with the uh, story of Daniel, Daniel is, um, him and his friends are uh, captured in Israel by the Persian army. And they are basically taken as prisoners of war back to Persia because uh, the king wanted to use... Uh, the most intelligent and smart people to serve in his government. And so uh, what happened is that as they came to Persia, uh, because these are, you know, the people that you want to uh, kind of take care of, they had access to the king's food and choice wines and, and meats. And unfortunately, the meats had been sacrificed to idols. And um, Jewish law at that time, you know, you, there were all sorts of dietary restrictions. And obviously, anything that's been sacrificed to idols, you shouldn't be eating. And so Daniel and his friends asked that, can we uh, please stick to water and vegetables? And so out of that honoring of God, God then, you know, it says here in Daniel 1.17 that um, as for these four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And, it's, and it says that God is the one who gave them that knowledge. Yeah. And it also says in James 1.5 that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God yeah. who gives to all generously and without reproach that he's not... Um, and that it will be given to him. And so um, I, I, I can say that I have encountered this so many times, time and time again. Uh, consulting is kind of weird because it's like you pay somebody. Um, consulting rates these days go for, two, on the low end, two to $5,000 a day. You pay a consultant, that's their consulting fees. And um, you give them, you 
you ask them to come help you out, give you advice. And so, and, and here I am at the age of like 24, 25 <coughs> as a consultant, and these companies are paying, well, they're paying the company money, but I'm, they're paying me and my colleagues to run these consulting projects for them. And so being in an HR consulting, one of the things that we did was employee surveys. And so, um, any of you been to Hong Kong? Okay, yes, I remember you. Um, can, does anyone know where the Disneylands are outside of the United States? Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, so there's one in Tokyo, there's one in Paris, there's one, and then um, in 2000, I forget when, I think 2004, 2005, the big news was Disneyland was coming to Hong Kong. Well, like Hong Kong had only one amusement park at the time, and it was a homegrown park called Ocean Park, kind of like Marine World. And so when you're Disneyland and you're looking for, you know, people with experience and skills to, uh, to operate the park rides and things like that, where are you going to go? Like, it's not like anyone else has experience. You, so you're going to go take employees from Ocean Park by offering them more money and more, more things. And so we had been hired by Ocean Park to do an employee survey. And so because the bigger concern was, like, what are we going to do when Disneyland comes into town and they're a bigger brand name, they're offering lots of money, and, uh, and we're going to lose our employees. And if we lose our employees, like, where are we going to get new employees, train them up and uh, do all of this? Well, anyway, um, one of the things that one of my mentors at the firm that I was working for uh, said was, Jay, clients pay us for insight and not data observation. You know, we can't charge like tens of thousands of dollars for data observation. They're paying us for insight. So um, insight, according to the Oxford American Dictionary, is the capacity to gain an accurate and deep intuitive understanding of a person or a thing. It's basically also having a different point of view and understanding the business implications of things when you are um, presented with the data. So, so, you know, I remember I would like literally, because I was working long hours, like take the, the stack of data home and literally put my hands over and like, God, I pray for your insight. Like, I pray for your insight. Like, give me this wisdom. And, and wisdom came, like, you know, that, that I could definitely say that I gave this client, you know, real wisdom. It didn't come from me, it came from God, and it's because I asked God for wisdom, <coughs> and wisdom. And so, I mean, and not to credit me or the firm or anything, I mean, Ocean Park did a lot of things well. Like, they have become amazingly profitable. They did not lose, I think they only lost like a handful of employees to Disneyland. And um, they have, and unfortunately, Disneyland has not been doing very well. They've had labor disputes and all sorts of things. Um, and, 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 and it's been such a great testimony and a story for our firm and everything. And, you know, if whatever little uh, thing that I was able to contribute in putting that report together and coming up with a strategy on how they were going to keep their employees engaged and continue to operate the park, because if you have no employees, you can put the most elaborate plans or strategies in place, like, you're done, right? That you can't implement your strategy. And so... I can tell you that the God is God is the source of all wisdom. I mean, that's not to say that you should go show up at an exam without having studied and start reciting James 1.5, right? Like, you need to do your part. Like, you need to study your butt off, um, and you need to honor God. But it's that faith of, like, God, um, I've studied and I've done my best. Like, will you come and help me remember all the things that I studied? And so, uh, that and that has happened countless of times where... 
Um, I'll be praying, and one of the things that I used to do uh, in Hong Kong was I used to go work out at the gym, and I'd put my iPod on and listen to my music and start praying, and just kind of start reflecting through all the decisions that had to be made. And once I moved out of consulting into a corporate role, uh, I had the decision of, like, should we hire this firm or should we hire that firm? And even more recently, um, I had the opportunity to build my team. So I had to hire four different, I had openings for four different positions on my team. And then the last one was the most, uh, I, not the last one, one of them was very agonizing. Like, should I hire this person or should I hire this person? And it's like, God, I need to, I need you to tell me what to do. Like, I need your insight, I need your uh, wisdom. Okay. So um, the, the third aspect of God that I have really come to experience is um, is the God of favor. And so, uh, again, what exactly do we mean by favor? I mean, we toss around a lot, a lot of these terms in the church, but according to the New Oxford American Dictionary, it is an attitude of approval or liking, an act of kindness beyond what is due or usual. So you basically getting favoritism, um, getting something that you don't deserve, uh, and someone being going out of their way for you, and that's, that's what favor is. And so, why don't we turn to um, yeah, Daniel one nine. So it's on the same page. Someone read Daniel one nine. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Yeah, and then someone turn to Psalm five twelve. Yeah, so it says clearly here um, in Scripture that God is the one who gives favor to people. Okay? And so I can tell you of some of the amazing favor that I've had over my life. Uh, that firstly, I, um, I've never had to go look for a job. It's always kind of shown up. And I know how, um, what difficult times we are living in right now especially in North America, and, and to say that, um, and granted, you know, it's not like I've been working 20 years, I've been working just barely 10 years now, and so I've worked for, um, I've had, you know, worked for, if you count my dad's company, I've worked for three companies, but if I don't count it, so I've worked for two companies, but each time a, the job has felt fallen on my lap, and, and, <coughs> and when people ask me, like, how did that ever happen to you, like, how did, you know, how did you get this, or how did you get that, and I'm like, I'm like, for those who are Christians, I'd be like, yeah, it was totally God. Uh, but if they're not, I'd be like, you know what? I've always been at the right place at the right time. And, you know, and if you don't know, like, I, I really do think it's God. So I'll give a little, I'll bit, I won't make such a big deal out of it, but I will give, always give, give credit to the Lord, like, um, that I've always been at the right place at the right time. So uh, just a couple things. Um, Couple, of, I think over the last 10 years, well, since I started working in consulting and I started my career in HR, uh, I've always had headhunters call me up. And it like the craziest things, it would be like, uh, and even it even happened a couple months ago where somebody wanted to offer me the job for the head of HR um, in Asia, not just one country, like, but the, for the whole entire continent uh, for this large financial services firm. And that's that actually started happening a couple of couple of years ago, where they started people started offering me um, the or they were interested they wanted to know if I was 
interested in um, being the head of HR for Asia. And each time I tell them, like, uh, do you know how old I am? <laughs> like, uh, I actually haven't been working for all that long. And um, so I'm very upfront about that. Uh, so that's always happened. Um, but in 2006, uh, I had a mentor whose name is Simon. And, uh, and, my, and my firm was organizing this huge business conference in conjunction with uh, the largest English language newspaper in Hong Kong, uh, which is the South China Morning Post. This huge business conference um, inviting all sorts of CEOs and all of that to talk about business issues, like having a couple hundred people come to this event. And my mentor was supposed to present with our client. Um, and unfortunately, he fell ill. And so we were like, oh, what are we going to do? And he's like, gee, why don't you take my spot? So he actually was diagnosed with cancer. He's like, gee, why don't you take my spot and why don't you present with our client, May? And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so unqualified for this. Like, I have to speak in front of a crowd of a hundred and something people. And, and the thing is, he's like, yeah, I know you can do it, so go do it. I'll, I'll help you prepare. So I ended up speaking at this conference as a so-called expert at the age of, like, 20-something. And, and, um, and one of the editors of the South China Morning Post happened to be there. And I actually knew her from before. So I went to a charity event like, a couple of months ago. We ended up sitting at the same table. And uh, we, we got to know one another. And then she saw me again at this conference. And she was like, wow, you were great. You know, I want you to come write for us. Like, I, I can, you know, however much space you want, I will give it to you. Like, you can go come write for us at a, uh, uh, for a column. And I'm like, are you whacked out of your mind. <laughs> like, I'm not going to write. Mean, she wasn't saying, like, leave my job and become a writer, but she was saying, like, oh, I want to offer you something. And I just didn't think anything of it. And then I ran into her again uh, about six months later, and she was like, Jay, let's have lunch. Why don't you, you know, invite your boss to come? And so I ended up having lunch with Andrea and her colleague from the South China Morning Post. And right in front of my boss, she was like, we want to offer GA a column, like once a month column. What do you think? We'll give her the back page, the corner. And, and my boss was like, yeah, great, give it to her. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. What am I going to do? And so, like I tell you, the god of favor. So I actually had my own column for two years. It was called WorkWise, um, Exploring Workplace Issues with Jie Huang. I even had like, you know that, uh, the cheesy photo where you're like this, this in a suit, like professionally, uh, you know, professional photography. My picture came out and like, you know, and, and I had the back page um, once a month and, and I had my own column. And I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, I had, at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, I have like one article, I have one thing to write and then afterwards I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, my goal was to keep it for a year because I had to come up with own original thinking each time. But I had so much fun. The first article, the first column piece that I wrote was out of Matthew 6. They, they don't know it was out of Matthew 6, but it was out of Matthew 6 about not judging people. Um, um, the way that you wouldn't judge yourselves. And then I even got to mention um, Bob Sorge in my column. Who knows who Bob Sorge is? Yeah, yeah Bob Sorge from IHOP. So I quoted him as an author and a writer, like as an author and a speaker, which is absolutely true. But if anyone Googles Bob Sorge, they know like he's this, you know, laid down lover for God and everything. But you're like, yeah, my top 10 learnings and Bob Sorge from, you know, you know, this book Envy, blah, blah, blah said. And so I had a lot of fun and, and I kept that for two years. And uh, when it was time to 
uh, time for it to end. It, it was like when the financial crisis was hitting, so there was a lot of reorganization taking place at the newspaper. But it was it was great that I had my own column. I was able to put in biblical principles and views, uh, and then I would run into people. I was like, Yeah, I read your post. You know, yeah. I read your column and things like that. And and like. You know, I can actually say that I'm published. Um, I had my own column. I had, I, you know, I've written uh, newspaper articles and things like that. And it was for in what we would call the secular business world. And so that comes because the God of favor. You know, He will make sure that you are at the right place at the right time to meet the right people. Okay. Uh, the fourth is the fourth um, God that I want to introduce you to. He's that He is not a God of coincidences. God is in control, and He has everything. And so, why don't we turn to Matthew 10, uh, verse 29 to 31. So, I'll give... Can someone read Matthew 10, 29 to 31, please? Uh, 29 to 31, yeah. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground, apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Yeah, and then let's turn to uh, Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 to 14. plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Yeah. And so um, God talks about in Matthew 10, 29 to 31, that, you know, that... Um, <clears throat> Not a single sparrow will ever fall to the ground, um, and yet, you know, he's got all our hairs numbered. Um, I was actually having to unclog my drain and just, like, the amount of you know, gross hair that's in there. But, like, <laughs> and so, and so, you know, he, he's numbered every single one of our hairs. And then in Jeremiah 29, he says that he has a plan. That I may have had a plan that didn't quite turn out to be the plan that I thought it was going to be, but God has a plan. And I think the thing that I find most comforting is that in verse 14, And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven, um, <coughs> driven you. I actually like the translation that you read. Can you read verse 14 again and much yeah. louder? And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Mm. So I like the version, um, what, what translation are you reading? Uh, NLV. Okay, so the NLV, NLV translation talks about like taking you out of captivity. And I really felt like the um, two and a half years that I was working for my dad, uh, it was really a place of captivity. I mean, we can draw the analogy out even longer, but 
uh, just because of the financial difficulty and everything. And, you know, at the time I was like, oh my goodness, I've ruined my life. Like I could have gone to work for some big name firm through college recruiting. And yet, you know, here I am working in this no-name company, like racking up even more debt because I haven't been able to be paid. Uh, well, you know, I look back now and I look back at where my um, my peers are and um, in a, and I, I, I and this is nothing about the U.S., but if I had stayed in the U.S., I would never have made it to where I am right now compared to if I had gone home to Hong Kong to do what I did. And so um, where I am right now is I work for a very large financial services company, and I head up um, learning and development, which is a sub-function of human resources. So I oversee a team of 10 people, and our team oversees all of employee development, leadership training, and uh, leadership development and things like that. So I'm in a very senior role. Uh, for for my age, which is I'm still young, okay, Daryl. Don't say you're old because we're similar age. Um, so I'm still young, but um, I'm in a very senior role. And most of my colleagues, if they're young, they're in their 40s, but most of them are in their 50s. So those are my peers right now. And and it's um, and just just to share with some of the crazy coincidences, because really God is not uh, is it, it's not about coincidences. But so as my father's company was going under. And um, I, I think I was just like losing it seriously. Like I didn't know where we were gonna live next, and you know, it's not like my mom had a career. She she was a stay-at-home mom, and and I had decided to go work for my dad. So it's not like I had any separate income. My brother was at school in the United States, and and I think I was going a little bit insane. And my friends from church were like, "Jay, uh, we're gonna go. We rented a villa in Bali. Bali is a tropical island off um, in Indonesia. It's by the equator." Uh, it's a it's one of those holiday destinations. He's like, why don't you just come? Like, we rented a villa, we have a spare bedroom, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put this plane ticket on my credit card. I don't know how I'm gonna pay for it later, but I'm just gonna go. And so, like, I can't deal with this. Like, and my parents thought I was just insane. It's like, do you not know like the the crap that is happening at home right now? And so I went, I escaped, and my friend was like, my friend from church. I mean, I'm so grateful for her even to this day. And uh, she's like, you know what, there's a job, and uh, there's a job opening. It's actually, you know, strictly speaking, it's the executive assistant to the head of Asia, and his number two, who's going to be head of leadership development for this, the consulting firm. I mean, you're way too overqualified, but why don't you come and just interview? It, it, it would at least be a good a first step to, like, get into the company. Um, and, and start. So this is obviously the HR consulting firm that I ended up working for. But I ended up interviewing, I believe it was my birthday, June 16th, and, and, I, and, and the guy who interviewed me, his name is Mick, and, Mick would, and, I, and I just said to him, I was like, oh yeah, today's my birthday. And he goes, mine too. <laughs> so here we are on June 16th, it's my birthday, and the guy that I'm interviewing with who's my future boss, it's his birthday. Like, what other chances of that happening? Any of you like math nerds in here? Yeah. yeah, so like what would be the chance of that happening? Like very, very slim. In a group of two people? Huh? In a group of two people? Yeah. Like of all chances that we meet on June 16th, it's my birthday on June 16th, it's his birthday on June 16th. I was like... Minuscule. Yeah, minuscule, <laughs> right. Right, so, um, so I ended up getting the job and I ended up becoming his executive assistant. I was like, oh my gosh, I have two Ivy League degrees and I ended up being someone's executive assistant. But of course, like God had to, you know, humble me. So, uh, <laughs> but I can say that I'm so grateful for that job because as his executive assistant, they, 
Um, they were putting together a leadership development program for their top 40 leaders in Asia and then their up-and-coming leaders. And so what they would do is this, this, this firm had um, um, locations all over Asia and they would all meet in Bangkok in Thailand and they would go through these leadership development um, workshops. And so the things that I learned in my very first job of what is leadership development, what is high potential development, is what I'm now doing for my own company today. So the things that I learned in that job. Um, and then uh, my two bosses were writing a book at the time, so I got to write their book with them and you know, be like, hey, you have to stick to this project timeline. And, and I, I can even say that I wrote <coughs> chapter two of that book. Uh, and you know, they mentioned me in the book to thank them and things like that. And so what you think is a detour is never a detour. Like God will always redeem every single thing. And you'll look back and you'll think like, oh, I'm so grateful for that experience. So for those of you who are going to be looking for jobs, you know, don't think about, don't think like, oh, this is it for the rest of my life. Like if God's nudging you to go and, and you get that job offer, like just go take, take it. Like you don't know who you're going to meet, what it's going to lead to. It might not be the pay that you want. It might not be the title that you want. But, you know, humble yourself. And, and take take that job, if that's what you th think that God wants you to do. So I really didn't have a choice, so it was like all, 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 all signs leading to that direction. And then, um, and then I quickly found myself moving out of that role and moving into, um, moving into consulting. Can I give you another piece of advice? Never let um, other people's limitations stop you. So if you who's heard of the elephant um, being tied to the pole story? Yeah. So, so someone had been, they might have been at a circus and they said, you know, why is it that the elephant is tied to the pole and, and the elephant doesn't think to run away? And it's because uh, when the elephant was very small as a baby, and I think they still do this in, in certain parts of the world, when the elephant was a small baby, they would tie the elephant's foot down. And because the elephant was so small, try to move, but it couldn't. So growing up, once it had become a huge giant-sized elephant, you know, obviously if the elephant just moves away um, and moves its foot, it could easily come out. But because that limitation had been placed on that baby elephant when its size was physically smaller, the mindset is, I can't, I can't, um, I can't move because that rope is just too, um, too hard. And so when I first started and I was in that executive assistant role, basically I, I desperately wanted to move into consulting because, you know, there's no future career as uh, someone's executive assistant. And so I wanted to move into consulting, and basically, um, at the time, so this is in Hong Kong, uh, at the time, they didn't want to hire anyone who didn't speak fluent Chinese. So um, the only language that I speak absolutely fluently is English. So they didn't want to um, hire anyone who didn't speak fluent Chinese because they had previously hired this other person who only spoke English, and she was basically not billable. So when the economy is bad in Hong Kong, uh, as consultants, you go and do a lot of work in China. Um, and basically this person wasn't able to get any work done in China, so she ends up being, um, when you're in consulting, you have to count how many hours you've charged, and, and you can basically tell how much have I contributed to the company's um, you know, bottom line this month. It's just like lawyers, right? Like everyone has set targets, like everyone needs to, let's say, uh, bill $20,000 worth of work that month. And so this person wasn't billable. So anyway, she ended up leaving because she was gonna get married and all of that, and, um, and, and because of her, I was like, darn, you know, uh, that, that they really don't want to hire me because they don't want to transfer me into this consulting role because that I don't speak um, Chinese. And so I was like, whatever, you know, and I ended up going through a backdoor route of I um, 
when this guy, Simon, moved to the Hong Kong office, and he was a very well-established consultant in Asia, and she, he ended up moving from the Shanghai office to the Hong Kong office, and I said, Simon, will you mentor me? Like, any projects that you have, like, you know, I would love to help you out on it, um, and he did. And so, before the, the uh, head of the Hong Kong office, let's just, I, as I said, call him James, his name is not James, um, could say anything about it, I was already doing consulting work, and I was already doing very, very good work, and so, <coughs> you know, within like two months or so, because he didn't really have a choice, right? Uh, he, he just offered me a consulting position, and that's how I got in. And so I didn't let somebody else's lim um, um, limitations limit me. Yeah. Um, I just went for it. And, um, and I, you know, I say this not out of pride or boasting, but I was one of the most profitable consultants in that firm during those, those couple of years. Like, I would be able to build double of what my peers and my colleagues were at my, my grade level. And um, God always provided for me in that regard. And so this notion of we're not going to hire people who don't speak Chinese anymore went out the door as, as they realized that it wasn't the language issue. It's like the matter of finding the right employee issue. And so after that, they started hiring more um, non-Chinese speakers again at that company. So um, the God, this is still on the topic of you know, God is not a God of coincidences, and I realize I'm starting to run out of time, so I'll, I'll hurry up. So, so nothing's gone to waste. Um, February 2008, I had been working at this firm for almost five years, and I was, um, you know, I'm the sort of person who's like all rah, 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 like drinking the company Kool-Aid, and like all for that company and everything. And at that time, I started to feel a little bit disillusioned. And actually, I had started feeling disillusioned like six months ago. And I was like, okay, God, the next headhunter who calls me, I'm going to take their call. Because most of the time, I would just say no, because out of the loyalty that I felt to, my, to the company. Um, February 2008, I ended up having lunch with my, my client, um, the company that I'm actually working for now. And so out of, at lunch, she was like, hey, I'm looking for such and such a person to work in the regional office. Like, you know, do you know anyone who's interested? And I was like, hey, how about me? <laughs> you know? And so, uh, and then I went back and thinking, oh, what did I just do? If I ruin my client relationship and this becomes awkward, then, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in huge trouble. So anyway, I ended up having another informal coffee and then I ended up um, interviewing with the head of HR for um, this financial services uh, firm. And I basically told, as we were having this conversation, I realized that the head of HR was a Christian. So I basically told him, I can't, I need to pray about it. He basically said, oh, we really want you. The question is, do you want us? And so I said, I really need to pray about it. And so that was a Friday morning. Friday evening, we were having our intercessory prayer ministry retreat. So we were going away after work from Friday evening and then coming back to church on Sunday. And uh, the, um, the prayer ministry, what we would do is like we would, uh, this was our time to relax, rest, you know, reconnect with each other. Uh, and then also pray for one another because as the intercessory prayer ministry, we would always be praying for um, other people in the church and all of that. And so as we're praying, and unfortunately we didn't time ourselves very well, so we started praying for one another at midnight. And by the time, there are like 10 people in the group, and by the time it got to me, it's like 3 a.m. in the morning. And so at 3 a.m. in the morning, you're trying to pray for someone, and at that time your brain is so fried, you're so tired, <laughs> that either you hear from God or you don't hear anything at all because your physical brain is so tired. And so they're praying for me. They know that I have this job offer, and, and they know that I, I basically... Um, I, I, I knew where my success came from, so I knew I couldn't leave until God told me to leave. And as they prayed for me, 
Um, and we have this thing where we like to tape record all, uh, record all the prayers because, you know, when you're receiving prayers sometimes, uh, you don't remember it afterwards because you're kind of like in the zone and in the moment and you don't remember. So I always like to record everything. And, and they were praying for me. And then as we finished, and, and I was like, guys, like God spoke to me. You know, he told me that, you know, I should take this job because he doesn't want me to be working this hard. I was basically, one person was working the equivalent of two and a half jobs at the consulting firm. And then, and then he goes, and God told me that the economy is going to crash after the Olympics. And, you know, like he's going to provide a safe haven for me and blah, blah, blah. So he's like, you don't need to move. So, so, and I actually forgot to turn off the tape recorder. And so all of that got recorded. The, the thing that I said about what God had told me. Well, that was the year 2008. The Beijing Olympics was August, um, was August 2008. And two weeks later, September 15th, 2008, what happened? Yeah. Anyone know? Who was the first one? Okay, Lehman Brothers files for bankruptcy, and that was the week when the whole global financial crisis started, and like trillions of dollars were lost on the financial stock market. So. So here I am, this HR person who really doesn't know very much about finance, like, yeah, you know, the economy's going to go under after the Beijing Olympics. And people are like, what are you talking about? You know, first of all, you work in HR, you don't know anything about finance. And like, you know, this was February. The economies were booming around the world. Like, especially, I know, I know there were some hints of signs and things in the U.S., but in Asia, the economies were booming at that time. And so me going around telling people that the economy was going to go under after the Olympics, but it was like, I just, and, and then when it did, all my ex-colleagues were like, GA, you made such a good move. Because I started my, I resigned in, um, I gave my notice, so in Hong Kong I had to give at least a one month notice. Uh, gave my notice, left my job in, Mar uh, left my job in um, April, uh, took a couple weeks off, and then started my job in May. And by the time September came around, I had passed my probation period and like, had become very well established in my new company. And I was like financially, it was very well secured, and that was when the layoffs started happening in Hong Kong as well. So, so all to say is, um, um, you know, God really does have a plan for your life. That there are no coincidences. Um, so I actually have more stuff, but it's coming to six o'clock. So I'm going to just wrap up here, and maybe some other time I can share some more. Uh, but all I there. One thing that I wanted to say is that um, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 3.1. There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under, the, under heaven. And then 1 Chronicles 12.32. Uh, of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200 and all their kinsmen were at their command. You know, and I've just been speaking for the last, you know, 20 minutes, joining on and on about, like, there are no coincidences. And I really firmly believe that you are here at this time because God has ordained you to be here at this time. Like, how many of you are originally not from the Boston area? Like, more than half of you, right? So you are here out of a series of things that happened, and you end up in Boston. I mean, I moved from halfway around the world. And if I think about some of the crazy, like a Korean growing up in Hong Kong, actually, my dad had the choice of going to 
the reason why we grew up in Hong Kong is because my dad's company sent him to Hong Kong. Um, he actually had a choice to go to Indonesia. If he had gone to Indonesia and we had grown up in Indonesia, I went to school between 96 and 2000. 1997 was the Asian financial <coughs> crisis. I had um, people in my school who came from Indonesia, Thailand, because the currencies crashed in 1997. So if you think that it was 25 uh, baht to a dollar, or let's say 50 rupiah to the dollar, and then all of a sudden the currency crashes, and all of a sudden like your what used to be 50 uh, 25 baht to the dollar ends up being 50 baht to the dollar, like. All of a sudden, uh, you know, a $30,000 education just became $60,000. That just becomes unimaginable, right? Even for a well-to-do upper-middle-class family. And so, and so had, you know, I, I mean, there's so many things. I look back, and I'm Korean, so anyone knows, like, Korea, South Korea, North Korea, North Korea, totalitarian regime, living in absolute poverty, hunger, in labor camps. All my grandparents are from North Korea. And, like, I could have been born in North Korea. Like, there's no way I'd be here today. So all to say is a series of events had to happen for you to be here at this time. And so, and we're starting a new church. It's this vibrant community. There's going to be a lot that's going to be happening. And so all to say is, I really want you to ask God, you know, what it is that he wants, what it is and why is it that you're here? Because we're all here for a purpose and a reason, you know? That was one of the things that when I had to make the decision to come to Boston, I was like, God... You know, I know I'm moving for my job and it's a great promotion and everything, but seriously, what is your purpose and what is, why is it that I'm here? And the first time that I stepped into J-Hop in May, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I know, actually even before I came to Boston, my friend was like, Jay, I had this like prophetic picture of you, like speaking in J-Hop. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I can speak a lot more about this. But all to say is God knows who you are. Yeah. Um, Larry Randolph, who is a prominent leader in the Christian world, um, I remember spe him speaking at, uh, at Bethel Church, and explained that some other time. And he basically said, God knows who you are. In order for you to get here to where you are today, in order for you to come to this place, he planned you thousands of, uh, like since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve had to, you know, had to have kids, and then their, had, their kids had to have kids. 5,000 generations of people had to come in order for God to create you. And he had you in mind since the beginning of time. It took 5,000 years and the combinations of people who had to have to get together and to um, have children for you to come. And so I know that <coughs> we're living in very difficult times and you're very concerned about your future. Um, and if any of the stories that I was able to share with you today... I hope that right now, the Holy Spirit will come and just penetrate it into your hearts. That He is a God of hope. He is a God who has a plan and a purpose. He is not a God of coincidences. That you are here for a reason and a purpose. And for how many years that you are in Boston, and even if you, are, if you have been in the Boston area for all your life, that um, you prosper where you're planted. You know, many of you are here for an education, and you know, a world-class education. Um, and yet, the sense that I got, you know, and many people have confirmed this, that, that you are not here just to go to school, but to be a part of this community and this church. So you're going to be hearing a lot more about, you know, the things that we're going to be doing and all of that. Um, and, and I just want to implore to you, ask God, why is it that you're here? Because God is doing something, and it's not about God, what is your plan for my life? But it's about, God, what is it that you're doing, and how can I join you in your kingdom? Yeah. 
And the most exciting thing about being a Christian is the fact that I don't have to live a boring life. Uh, uh, like that's the thing that I actually deplore. Like, oh, I can't. There's, I can't live. I basically said to God, I cannot live a boring life. Um, sometimes, really, be careful what you ask for because God always remembers. But anyway, um, and because I have a relationship with God, it's not about what I can do. It's about me just following in His footsteps. So, getting that column being, um, you know, the head of learning and development for a very large company at this young age. It's because God opened those doors for me. And so realize that it's not about your own strengths. It's not about your own abilities. You know, follow God in what he's doing and just, just enjoy the ride. So why don't I close us in prayer? And then I think um, Daryl and Will will lead us uh, or Noah will lead us. I want, I want to just provide a little bit of opportunity because it is about you guys here tonight. Gia, stay right up here. Yeah. And it's about you guys tonight, and uh, to, to pull something from, from tonight, what GA is saying, something that you guys can take and you guys can and walk with this week is a scripture, right? It's, it's about where you position yourself, but that directly correlates where you position God in your life. In Matthew 6, we know about, it says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And all those things that he's spoken about prior to that verse in Matthew 6 was about clothing and housing and work and all these things that were life choices and big decisions. And so many of you guys can relate to that stuff. And, and GA, I see that as a signpost in her life. That's something she continually did. She put God as the center. She said, God, I want what you have for my life. And I believe that that was the direct reason why God did direct her steps and that God is a God of favor and God is a God that, that, that orchestrates and guides and desires to lead and intimately lead every uh, area of our life. So if there is things that are pressing on your heart, and maybe big or small, whoever you perceive them, I want to definitely provide some opportunity just for you to come up. And we just want to pray for you. We just want to ask God that He would intervene. He would come in, that we would just readjust our hearts and say, even in the mundane places in our life, God, we want you to speak. I don't want to get caught up in, in the ritual and the, the rhetoric and the church thing. I want to get caught up in your presence, God. We want to know what you want for our lives. So let's just get hungry for God. I want GA who's, who's walked this and, and, and not only talk this, just to pray over you guys tonight. So let's give him a minute. Come on up. We can There's plenty of room up here, guys. that God has given to me so far and as you get to know me you'll realize that I'm also really human so don't like place these inhumane expectations but you know we're all people here that even in this broken and sinful vessel that God can use me and he's been so good because of who he is not because of who I am so let me just pray over you guys and we'll go around and lay hands on people Father God we just come before you and we just declare that you are a good God that you are the God of provision, that you are the God of all sorts of wisdom, that you are the God of favor, that you are the God who has the plan and the right plan, and you will come and implement that plan regardless of our mistakes as we follow you, Lord God. And so, Lord, I pray over my friends tonight, my brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, will you uh, come and meet with them, Father? As many of them are in school, Lord God, I pray that you would come and open those doors for them, Father God. Lord, I pray that we would become hardcore Christians, Father. We're not weird and, like, living in our own bubble, Father. But, Lord, that we would be um, salt and light in whatever place that you have called us to be, Lord. And so, Lord, will you give us the gift of hunger and give us the gift
gift of your presence, Lord. Give us the gift of your presence in this place, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone um, fighting through hopelessness and dismay, we just break that off right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God. That anyone going through a difficult time, Lord, Lord, I pray that you will come and, and just cheer them on and encourage them, Lord God. That sometimes we do need to go into that place of the wilderness because you love us, you love us too much us the way we are, Lord God, that you want to change us and, and build our character and our integrity, Lord. And so, Lord, um, I just pray over my, my brothers and sisters, come and, Lord, open up the gates of heaven, Lord God, and pour out your presence and your hope in each one of these people, Lord God. Yeah. Uh -huh.